Welcome to this edition of This Is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. This edition is sponsored by the Tricord Group, leading successful relationship constructs for over 25 years, and Vim, helping the architecture and design disciplines design, deliver, and operate better buildings for a better world. Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. With me in the studio today is Cheryl Kitchener, who is the corporate coach for HKS Architects. Cheryl has this unbelievably wonderful background. For many years, she was at Gensler. She is an interior architect and designer. She helped found and lead one of the Gensler offices. And as a design leader, over time, she made the decision she wanted to cross over into leadership, coaching, and support. And so she did that. And we're doing something a little different in the studio today. She is going to interview me about what's coming up in the Design Intelligence Leadership Institute. Cheryl, I'm so excited that you're with me in the studio today. Dave, I am thrilled to be here. Dave, you're an observer of leadership across the built environment industry. What are some of the overarching observations you can share with us? Wow, what a question, because we do. We get to see leadership literally in hundreds of firms, not just at a distance, but we get to come up close and watch how leadership behaves, what it does, what it doesn't do in so many, many firms across the built environment industry. Uh, As a matter of fact, I put together a list over the last five years. I've been doing my own, I'll call it journaling on my leadership observations, Uh, and uh, and I have eliminated all names to protect the innocent. But uh, <laughs> but in this, it's been kind of fun because I've come up with after a five year period and looking over over three hundred, maybe three hundred and fifty organizations, I have what I call the top ten shortcomings in design firm leadership. And I'll tell you what is number one on that list is failure to properly prepare the next generation for leadership. Such a great point you're hitting on there. And, you know, Dave, there's a lot of leaders listening to this. And they know what's at risk for them personally if they don't lean into their leadership. What's all at risk if leaders don't make this shift? I tell you, there's so much at risk. It's like a pebble in a pond effect is the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Once you neglect to appropriately and intentionally invest in the leaders that are coming up. We call them emerging leaders that will take your seat and my seat in the years to come. Then we end up passing the baton to someone who, instead of running with the baton, suddenly stumbles or freezes, not knowing what to do. The sad part about becoming a leader that is inadequately prepared for leadership is we often go two directions. We either freeze and don't know what to do and act out of some kind of aberrant behavior because we're trying to cover it up. Or we overcompensate and act like we know what we're doing when everyone else knows that we don't know what we're doing. (laughs) It's a a very basic human dynamic. But the end of the day, none of it has to happen if senior leadership – will invest properly and intentionally in the leaders who are coming up. And when I say that, I mean over a three, five-year period of pouring ourselves in 
to those people that are coming up. I, I do want to tell you, though, Cheryl, the second thing on our list of the top 10 shortcomings of design firm leadership is for leaders to inadequately invest in their own self-growth. Yes. It's, I see it over and over again that most of the, the leaders that I encounter are operating on fumes. They make it through the day. They make it through the week, the month, the quarter. And honestly, it's not that anyone is unintelligent. They're radically intelligent people. But they're not stepping back and taking care of themselves. They're not filling up what they're constantly giving out of. And as a result, sometimes our leadership practices are, are irrelevant because life has changed. Time has changed. Practices changed. People have changed. And we're still operating off of old paradigms rather than learning new patterns that create new paradigms. And so it's a, these are the two of the top ten. These are the two big things, and they both have to do with investments in leadership for others as well as for ourselves. You know, when I hear you talking about the failure to invest in our emerging leaders, you know, that sounds like care and and multi-level care, meaning that the firm invests in leaders to get them to where they need to want to be in their leadership. Those leaders then invest in their people. And in turn, the leaders and their people fulfill the mission, values, and purpose of the firm in the big scheme of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How important is that? Oh, it's, it's the idea of this is really about, about relationship at the end of the day. When I, when I look across the organization and I say, uh, John or Mary are people that I think could take my seat that in the next three or four or five years, as I consider transitioning out, I think John or Mary could take this seat. Then putting them on an arm's length distant program is insufficient. As you said, if I care for the firm, mm. then I care for John and Mary. And care is a very personal thing. It means personal time investment, energy, effort, emotion into their life. Because I have an opportunity to put someone in my seat that will take this firm even higher and better than I was able to bring it to. That's the call of being a leader, is to leave the place in the hands of someone who will take it higher and better than you took it. Absolutely. I love this conversation. And when we bestow that care, right, you said something earlier that was so interesting, that That has to start with us first as leaders, me as a leader, you as a leader, Dave, right? That that investment in ourselves, that self-care has to happen to build and have that foundation so we can give. You know, it's interesting. My father was a physician for 50 years. He was a general practitioner. He was an old-fashioned doc. He stopped doing house calls, literally house calls, when he was 67, So he really believed in caring for people, and he took all of that very, very seriously. He loved people, and he practiced his profession accordingly. But was interesting thing about Doc, he always took Thursdays off. Every Thursday, you couldn't find Doc because he'd go fishing or he'd go hunting. That was his thing because he was a Texan. And or you would find him sitting on a porch reading a book. He invested in himself. He did things to take care of his own mind and his own body. He had these great hobbies. of He loved to carve things and paint things, and he, 
He built his own fishing rigs and all of these things. And it was all things to detach from the pressure of medicine for a moment, revive himself, fill himself back up so that when he hit the office again on that Friday and the following days after, because he always opened on Saturdays as well, he was always renewed. And and I don't see that discipline occurring in many practices. I yes. I don't see that, that investment to take care of myself in order to take care of others. And through the pandemic, it's interesting, we've watched this in frontline workers in healthcare through the pandemic, and we've seen the stretch that they've been in. They, they've been pulled and stretched so tightly that in many cases, they had no opportunity to self-care in order to take care of others. And we've seen a, a serious diminishment as a result of that. And how critical it is that employers ensure that their leaders, their caregivers, are taking care of themselves as leaders in order to properly lead and care for the organization. It seems really intuitive, but for some reason, it's, it just is functionally non-intuitive. That's interesting. And I agree with you. It does seem intuitive, but leaders put themselves last. As you know, I coach leaders of all levels at HKS. Dave, I have to tell you, hands down, that is the number one thing as, as a coach that I, you know, instruct them, um, preach to them, if you will. But that importance of self-care is crucial, and especially right now. This past year has been such a struggle for so many, and I have found that leaders dive in deeper to work, and they feel like that will help them to advance the ball down the field, rather than what you're saying, to, to stop, assess, detach, revive, to become renewed. Mm-hmm. But it's a choice. And when we make that choice, you know, we've got to plant that stake in the ground for our choice and hold that choice and hold that ground. It's a good choice. It's not a selfish choice. See, that's the thing you said earlier, said, oh, leaders always put themselves last. It's almost like, well, if people see me doing that, they're going to think I'm not doing my job. You are absolutely wrong. You are doing your job when you take care of yourself because the choice is you are investing in your organization when you invest in yourself. Absolutely. And so then from there, what does it mean to truly develop people into leaders? Wow, that's a that's a big that's that's one of those philosophical questions for the ages, isn't it? <laughs> you know, over time I've come to understand that I believe, again, in what we do at Design Intelligence, that there are four levels of interacting with people and their awareness. The first is what we call orientation. I orient myself to leadership. I try to first and all understand what is the lingua franca of leadership and what are the basic responsibilities. We'll call it the common responsibilities of leadership. Therefore, I understand what is orientation. From orientation, I escalate to a level we call training. And training is where I take classes and I learn things and I have to spin those things back to show that I actually did them or that I've incorporated that language into my language or those calculations into my understanding. And we do training over and over again. And then we move up to what we call education. And up that ladder to education is where I'm not only taught some things, but I now have to practice them in my own life. 
Uh, in other words, I get to use what I've learned in both direct and abstract constructs to be able to better understand how to apply my knowledge. It's, it's a very interesting uh, step in our progression up the ladder. But to develop is something else. To develop means, ideally, we have been oriented. There has been a, a, a course or a level of training that we've taken in that we have been educated to a certain level. But when all three of those are in place, we can stop. We could be stunted in our growth path on leadership unless I take those things and begin to put them into functional action down at the most fundamental level. And that's very much like we develop muscles. We do that by picking up a weight and we move the weight. It requires effort, sometimes sweat, sometimes pain to build muscle. And so it is with development. Development is not sitting in classes <laughs> per se. It is, it is best found in the context of relationship. We talked about that a little bit earlier. As I develop, I become a better me by hanging out with you because you speak into my life things that I don't see. I can't see. My myopia blocks me from that. And so when I am interacting with you, I have a different mirror that I get to observe and to take in from that. There's, a, there's an old saying from a long time ago. It says that iron sharpens iron. And it's the idea of that when, when two pieces of iron clash, we can see them as conflict or we can see it as sharpening one another. And I think that is the essence of development. In the context of cohorts and relationship, we become developed in our leadership. Dave, you said something really interesting that really opened something up for me. You, you mentioned how leaders are stunted in their growth path. And boy, I could not have said that better myself. And like I said, I coach leaders of all levels, young leaders and senior leaders, um, leaders who have been in the AEC industry 30, 40 years, and they're wanting coaching because of what you just said, Dave stunted in their growth path, right? Working so hard, head down all these years. And they look up for a moment and it's almost a, a where am I on this path now? They realize they've been striving, grinding, doing, right? So much, so hard, so long. And so I feel like a comprehensive leadership program like that what you talked about and I love these levels orient train educate and develop it's like these four stages and it's taking that knowledge and applying it into that functional action that you spoke of earlier tell us more about the leadership program how does that how does that work so it's a great great question um at Design Intelligence, we believe that everything begins with an assessment. We have to kind of know where we are in order to figure out where we're going, you know. And so when we look at leaders, we ask for those leaders to vulnerabilize themselves. Ooh, there's the first mm -hmm. gate, right? Will you vulnerabilize yourself, right? And, and will you allow us to spend some time with you to do what we call a leadership assessment? And that isn't a set of checkboxes. It is what we call a set of conversational dialogues that our leadership people are able to 
I'll call it discern and read between lines as to what's being said and what's not being said, what's being followed through with uh, what is being deprioritized. There's many aspects to this. And when we 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 go through that series, we end up plotting this type of assessment out on a on an index so we can best understand where that individual falls across a set of indices or markers that we do. That is not in any way to diminish a leader. It's for us to understand where their opportunities for growth are. You may be someone who is afraid of people, that, you know, you're a good leader as long as you're really prepared and you've buttoned up everything and you get in front of the audience, you say your stuff and then quickly get off of the, <laughs> off the platform. And we want to we change that dynamic so that you become more approachable and more effective in your communication. So we may, we may find that you're, you're a bit scared of people and that you don't really like to do that. And we'll see, oh, that's where they peg. But for them to be truly an effective leader over time, we need them to overcome that fear. And so we see a gap there that we'll call it fear for this moment. And we take them then through orientation, training, education, and development toward closing that gap of fear so that they become that confident, take-it-as-it-comes leader that are the folks that are following them need and want to see in them. It's so interesting because that assessment is something we've developed over a period of time and it's been exciting right now at Design Intelligence <laughs> where we've just entered into a contract to perform this assessment for over 100 people in one firm. We're coming up with a second with over, four, I think, 47 folks in another firm. A private equity group has engaged us and uh, we're a little overwhelmed because they're talking of we're talking about numbers of over 800 people across their portfolio companies they would like us to assess. You can see what's happening here is that people are anxious to know where they stand, to know where they're going. And so we begin this adventure with that uh, assessment that leads us forward. And from there is creating or designing the path toward gap closure. I hope that made sense. It was kind of a windy response to your short question. But I got a lot out of it because here's the here's like the key point. Leaders coming to a program that's designed for them. And what do they have to bring? Their vulnerability, like what you said, to vulnerabilize themselves, right? But when they're stunted in their growth path, in their leadership path, and they know they are, they know that they have been Doing some of those behaviors you talked about, like overcompensating in their leadership by leaning too much into their strengths and to not have to look at their weaknesses, by freezing what you said earlier. And another thing that leaders will do is they'll try to emulate other leaders or adopt another leader's style. Well, because they've seen it be successful. Well, that's successful for that person but you're, you're not that person. And so it's the authentic leadership that I think you're really wanting to see because when we're asking a leader from their path to become vulnerable, to go through this leadership assessment and the program, right? What are they going to get at the end? That's, a, that's really important. They're going to find a leader that's been developed that's in alignment with the core values of their firm. 
And boy, oh boy, is that exciting, right? It is so exciting exciting when we find that. I was talking to a firm yesterday to a management committee or an executive team of a firm, and we were talking about what's missing in their leadership structure. And there was a lot of banter back and forth among the, the folks that were there. And then they finally turned back to the Zoom screen and said, so what do you think? (laughs) It was kind of funny. The response I gave was, it's interesting about leadership because if we look at your firm like a a battleship, uh, a destroyer battleship, those ships usually have two rudders. These small rudders are what, what drive the direction of the ship. It's extraordinary. These small things can turn an entire organization left or right. The role of leadership is the role of ruddering. And in those in their particular group, I, I said, I, I think that it's critical for you to understand that those two rudders are, first of all, values-aligned leadership. That is, for them, most critical, which was extraordinary. And I won't tell you what the second one was because it might be, belie that firm. But it's the idea that when you come through a program like this, you're going to be allied and aligned with where the organization is going and what that organization needs for you to lead. It's not a checkbox, like I said earlier. It's not like, oh, shoo, I got through this course and I'm done. And I think that's part of the falseness of uh, maybe American higher education. We think that going by, by four years or five years or something and we tack on a two- or three-year master's program at the end and we can check boxes, get a degree, hang the sheepskin on the wall and say, we've arrived. Right. When the reality is you've just started, all you went through was the education level. Your career is toward development. And yet most of the fodder we learn in school has nothing to do with the work that we do every day. So we have to go back through an orientation, training, education, and development process. It's exciting, though. It's lifelong learning. It is exciting. And and what about sustainment, Dave? They, they complete the program. Um, and uh, they go off on their way to lead in this newly discovered way that they want to lean into their leadership. And, uh-oh, there's a struggle. There's a bump in the road. Wait a second. I'm not sure I learned how to deal with this. Or the, all of a sudden, their doubts come in. And then the saboteurs pop up. And then there's the fear, again, that you've identified earlier. Oh, I'll just go back to my old behaviors because it's what I know. And, and I'm wondering what, how design intelligence is going to support those who have completed the program. So really interesting. We believe that the most effective leadership leads from a level ground of collaboration. It's not hierarchical in a vertical construct. It is horizontal in a circular construct. And so leadership is most effective when it operates in a collaborative way. Our program is that way as well. The Design Intelligence Leadership Institute that we'll be launching formally, we've been informally doing it for a few years, but formally it will launch in this coming September We believe that the educational construct for this, the education and development work that we'll be doing, will all be done in cohorts. And they'll be cohorts from the same firm. And they will all be peers, most likely. Some of them may be higher up than others, but they'll all be neutral and on the same level within this program. They will 
be oriented together. They'll, they'll be trained about some things together. They'll be, have some clear educational dynamic together, and they will be developed together over the continuum of their program. When they finish and they cross the line, then now they have a new fellowship with their cohort. They go back in the workaday world into their firms, and now they have this new fellowship to be able to say, I'm, I'm, I, I'm having a problem with fear on this thing. And their, their brothers and sisters will say, let's sit down. Let's talk about this. We've been through this together, haven't we? Or I don't know how to deal with this conflict. I've never dealt with this level of conflict. Well, let's sit down and talk about it. We did this together. And in that collaborative learning, they learn to collaboratively lead and support one another. We think this is the future of leadership. And uh, so we call it the Design Intelligence Leadership Institute has a tagline, redefining the understanding of leadership. Oh, that's great. And, you know, and what I love about the cohorts and the way you're setting them up, it allows for peer-to-peer coaching. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's super important. That is based in what? Relationship. That's right. You know, if, if in the months that you go through this program, if not before, so the, the, the pre-program is all about assessment mm-hmm. and about bringing the cohort together. And then there's the socialization of the cohort. And then there is the actual orientation, training, education, and development. But it is critical that we... We figure out a way, and firm by firm has its own cultural dynamic on how we assess the trust factor among the cohort and how we deal with the distrust or mistrust dynamics within that cohort that could serve as inhibitors to you fully developing together as a leadership organization. This is not, you know, cookie cutter, don't open the book, got to go to page four, do that, you're done. This is very bespoke to the cultures of leadership within each organization. They're not all the same. They're all going to have their own sense of identity, and, and we are cognizant of that and therefore are not trying to cookie-cutter certain leadership principles on everyone. We believe that it's important for us to understand the culture that we're stepping into to define the program that's important for their future. Completely agree, because every culture is going to be different, and you're going to, I'm sure, have already found some that are are doing great things, or they're doing a few great things, right? And you want to see more. That's right. So, Dave, what are the chances of a leader being successful in their role by participating in the Design Intelligence Leadership Institute program? That's, That's interesting. Their chances are based upon their choices that they make at the end of the day. We... We can't impose what we're doing on anyone. People have to come vulnerable. You and I talked about that earlier. They have to come postured with their arms open instead of closed across their chest, emotionally, as well as, as, well as physically. They have to be able to come ready to receive as opposed to check boxes and be done. And it's, it choices, it, as smart as people can be, as experienced as people can be, as adroit as people can be, it means nothing if in every single day we don't make conscious choices that we will exercise our intelligence, our learning, our compassion, our care. Those choices are daily choices. So there's no guarantee. We can only give you better tools from which you can make better choices. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds fantastic. I have another question for you. Dave, 
when considering people for a current or future leadership role, what insight can you offer us about how to go about ensuring candidate readiness? You know, a lot of that, Cheryl, goes back to that assessment question that we have. We begin this by a, let's say, firm ABC Architects engages us and said, we are really interested in developing our leadership. And how do we go about that? Our questions in our dialogue with that senior leadership team is, why? What are you thinking? What's happening in transition in the future? Do you have succession planning in place? What is the future state strategy of your organization that's calling on this type of investment for leadership? You can see there's a bunch of really straightforward vision strategy business questions that need to be answered up front. Because, you know, I encountered a fellow not so long ago who called and said, we want to be on this leadership program. And I said, great, why? Well, don't you think we should be on it? I said, I don't know. Why? <laughs> you know. And he goes, you're not a very good salesman. I said, I'm not selling anything. It was, it was, it was hilarious. And I said, no, I'm not being silly. I want to know why do you want to do this? And he goes, because everybody keeps telling me that I need to get my leaders developed. And I said, do you? I'm not really sure at this point conversation was over as far as I was concerned because he's not he's not convinced that he needs to make these investments he's being pressured to make these investments and so it's really critical that we understand where senior leadership is coming from what is the motivation behind this inquiry into leadership development once that is done and there's an alignment then we ask what is the roster of your candidates and we give some guidance on how to select candidates for leadership programming and then from that roster, we begin an assessment program. And it's not, it's not just us assessing. It's also senior leadership assessing. It's, a, it's, a, it's somewhat complex. Why are we doing it that way? Because we believe this is probably the best and most meaningful investment any firm will make is in the future of its leadership. And so these things ought to be taken with care. And from there, we move then to our formal assessment work which then lays out a program as to what, whether a leader should grow or whether a leader should go to a different track, which is called rapid advance. And that's a whole other story unto itself. But we think readiness all begins with senior leadership being readied themselves and then us introducing this to their roster of candidates to understand their willingness to enter into a program like this. Even though you're being selected and and the firm is going to invest in you, some people are, are going to see it as a hassle. They're going to see it as, oh gosh, another hurdle I have to hop, instead of seeing it as what it is, which is this wonderful investment of care into seeing you grow. People are funny, aren't they? They are funny. And in as much as they can see something as a great opportunity, they're also very attached to their resentments and their frustrations that Design intelligence is going to ask them to leave that at the door. Yeah. Yeah. We, we make this statement all the time, which is, what are you willing to lay down in order to make room for what is needed going forward? Yes. It's a big deal. And you just nailed it. So many people will bring their biases, their prejudices, their judgments, yes. their hurts, their offenses, <laughs> and, they're, and they bundle them on their back like a big backpack, and they're just like, okay, I'm ready to go. Let's go. No, you can't get in this room with that stuff. You'll never grow beyond your current state unless you're willing to lay those things down. 
And what's interesting, the first part of coaching is the toughest part because that's the part where they have to lay that stuff down so we can get some work done. The program that Design Intelligence has created, it has rigor, it has extreme intent, and you're going to come out the other side a different person, a different leader, maybe the leader you've always wanted to be. Pretty exciting, isn't it? It's pretty exciting. Yeah, we think so. It'll be fun to talk about this some more as we get closer. We'll be opening up registration in the late spring this year, and then we'll be ready to begin our coursework with different cohorts starting in September. And uh, in between that, of course, the greater design intelligence audience of folks that like to hang out with us will hear more and more about this program. Dave, thank you. Um, And this is a favorite topic of yours and of mine. And I think we uncovered some really important learnings from today's chat. I hope it was useful. It's been a pleasure to be with you here in the studio today. I, I love that we had this opportunity to talk about leadership. Until next time, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of This is Design Intelligence, sponsored by the Tricord Group and Vim. The producer for This is Design Intelligence is Laura Spells, sound engineering by Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.